0: This episode of the Burning Bush Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's hands down one of the easiest ways to make a podcast, especially if you're just getting started. And here's why. First, it's completely free. And second, their online platform and app make creating episodes a breeze. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, and this is huge, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Simply just create your account and you'll start to see your podcast available on all of the major platforms. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Literally everything you need to make a podcast is available all in one place and on one platform. To get started today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Again, that's A-N-C-H-O-R. .fm. And now, back to the episode. Thank you for listening to the Burning Bush podcast. Today, we talk about the third part of our series titled Our Beliefs with the topic of original sin. We believe that Adam and Eve were created without sin, but through their defiance in the Garden of Eden, they fell from their original innocence. As their offspring, humanity is corrupted by very nature. Therefore, we are all born in sin and are subject to death and judgment apart from divine grace. So as we dive in today, let's start by what we mean by the term original sin. There's a secular, rational perspective from the philosophy that is pretty widespread among our culture. Everyone in the world is born innocent in a state of moral neutrality in which they don't have any predisposition toward good or evil, and therefore... It's our society that corrupts innocent lives. As we're exposed to sinful behavior around us, our normal, natural innocence is eroded by the influence of society. Yet, this raises a natural question. How did society get to be this way? Society is made up of people, so how is it that so many have sinned? It almost goes without question that we all, Christians and secular alike, believe that nobody is perfect that's even a cliche because it said so much so it only makes logical sense that since we are all born in a state of moral neutrality you would reasonably expect that roughly 50 percent or so of the population would grow up without sin but is that what we find no this isn't at all what we find left and right we see human beings acting against the moral standards set forth by the new testament So, let's lower the bar. Maybe living up to the moral standards of the New Testament is just too high for humans. Let's lower them to just keeping the laws of man rather than what God says we should do. Yet, we have a prison system overcrowded with inmates, unable to even keep man's law. R.C. Sproul says that even the honor that's established among thieves is violated by thieves. That's because no matter how low we set the level of morality, people break it. Our human character is that of sin all people sin and that's the doctrine of original sin it teaches that people sin because we are all sinners and it's not that we're sinners because we sin but rather we sin because we are sinners since the fall of man in the garden of eden each and every one of us inherits a corrupted condition of sinfulness it's important to understand that this nature was not given to us by god those first days in the garden of eden Adam and Eve were innocent, but now our entire existence has plummeted into a state of corruption. So now I have a question for you. What is the pinnacle act of God's work of creation? The answer is human beings. We know this because it was to humans that we were created in his own image, and therefore gave to us the highest place among all earthly living things. This image provides human beings with the unique ability to mirror and reflect the very character of God. Yet, while in the Garden of Eden, Eve was deceived by Satan in the form of a serpent. And although God told both Adam and Eve not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she was tempted and convinced by Satan it was okay to do so. And after taking a bite, she passed the fruit to Adam who also ate from the tree. this first lapse from a state of innocence, entail disastrous consequences for man and his descendants. It's the results of this sin, both legally and morally, that were passed from Adam to his descendants, so that now each and every individual that comes into the world inherits a nature that has been disempowered by sin. Now this brings us to the topic of total depravity. And don't let this phrase confuse you or lead you into thinking that our fallen natures are as corrupt and as depraved as possible. For as R.C. Sproul says, that would be a state of utter depravity. Instead, it means that the fall from our original state didn't just affect a part of our existence. It affected mankind to its core. And because of this, it affects every part of our being. It affects our minds, our hearts, souls, bodies, everything. But most importantly, it affects our ability to obey God. Even though the degree of our moral depravity is debated among different Christian denominations, one thing is completely clear. We are fallen from our created condition. So in our study on this topic, we tend to align ourselves with that of Augustine of Hippo. Augustine said that man was passe peccare and passe non peccare. That means that before the fall, man had the ability to sin and the ability to not sin. And R.C. Sproul says that not sinning was a possibility that Adam had in the garden. Augustine further argued that since the fall, all human beings now have lost the natural ability to keep from sinning, and therefore to keep from dying. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In John MacArthur's sermon titled, What is Sin?, we get a great analogy about the nature of our sin in relation to God our Father from a perspective that is pretty eye-opening. So John MacArthur puts it like this, it's like Absalom, you know? As soon as David, his father, had kissed him and embraced him, he went out and plotted treason against his father. So, the sinner eagerly takes the kiss of God that God provides in the created world and embraces God's graces and God's mercy and then betrays him by being the friend of God's enemy, Satan. Sin is a serious ingratitude. It's damning ingratitude. Sin is defiling. It is rebellion. God has appointed, because of our sin, that all of us will die once and then the judgment. And the only exception is for those who remain alive at the second coming of Christ. So now that we've discussed what we mean by the term original sin, the doctrine of original sin, and the biblical conception of sin, let's now dive into the biblical evidence to further support our claims up until this point. And in fact, there are several places throughout Scripture that refer to original sin and claim that we are by nature sinners. The first I want us to look at is Psalm 51 verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And now, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Let's focus on two phrases here from the verse in Ephesians. All those who are not in Christ are quote-unquote sons of disobedience. And further, if we are all by nature children of wrath, it can be because by nature we are all sinners. God does not direct his wrath towards those who are not guilty, and God did not create the human race sinful but upright. But we fell into sin and became sinful due to the sin of Adam. And so at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about the secular view of the world in which we are born innocent and then corrupted by society, even though that makes zero logical sense. So let's look at what the Bible and theologians have to say about it. And the first verse we're going to look at is Proverbs 22, verse 15. It says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And then Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. In his book, The Great Christian Doctrine of Original Sin Defended, Jonathan Edwards says, The word translated youth signifies the whole of the former part of the age of man, which commences from the beginning of life. The word in its derivation has reference to the birth or beginning of existence, so that the word here translated youth comprehends not only what we in English most commonly call the time of youth, but also childhood and infancy. And we see in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, who can understand it? We discuss this verse in our verse of the day series, and we see here that it assumes original sin as wickedness is a property of the human heart. And we also see in Ecclesiastes chapter nine verse three that the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts through their lives. Again, we see here in Scripture that the human heart is sinful by nature, and therefore all humans are sinful. So we've established that through these texts, that humans are corrupt, and therefore infants are corrupt. And some argue, however, that these texts speak nothing of infants, and speak only to those old enough to make moral decisions. And that's effectively saying that all people are sinful, but infants aren't. And The problem with making arguments like this is that they aren't backed by scripture. Now, Instead, we see the biblical authors speaking of human nature as a whole, which is a classification under which infants fall. And we have clearly established that death is a result of sin. That's also found in Romans 5, verse 12, and chapter 6, verse 23. But simply put, death only comes upon those who have sinned, and infants die. It's horrifically sad, but true. So therefore, they must have original sin. Now, you may be thinking that Christ died, and he was without sin. But I want to urge you to not let scripture get twisted in your head. Christ willingly gave up his life, and God imputed to Christ our sins on the cross, and therefore he died in punishment of those sins. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And it's not because of his sin, which he was without sin, that he died, but because of our sin that he took the punishment for. So, why should you believe in original sin? Well, there's many reasons, and this is something that scholars and theologians have discussed at length. But for the purpose of this podcast, and in the context of what we've talked about so far, I want to focus on one point in particular today, and that is that original sin explains the need for Christ's death. See, if we were to excise original sin from the overall picture of Christ, we would neutralize the power of the cross. See, we would still have a call to new life through the cross, but that would be rather than the gift of new life. This would be like saying the purpose of the cross is to simply be better. For those out there that deny original sin, the cross is about making good people better. Yet, for those that follow biblical teaching and traditional understanding, the cross is about making dead people live. So I want to encourage you. You should take great comfort in the doctrine of original sin. We need God to swoop in, change us, and save us. We can't save ourselves, and human history has taught us that. We live in a time that... You need only to turn on the TV and watch the news for two minutes to see that we can't save ourselves. No president's going to save us. No person is going to deliver us from original sin. We need God. The last thing we need is a checklist. And God's love for me is greater and more impressive because I know how bad I am than by making myself seem better. So I want to leave you today with a passage from Charles Spurgeon. He says, Sin has departed us from God, but grace has brought us nearer to God than we ever were before sin divided us from Him. Sin wrought us untold mischief, but grace has made even that mischief to be a gain for us. For now we are sought with blood, as otherwise we never could have been. O wondrous restoration which has lifted us up, and made us more perfect than we were before we were broken, and elevated us to a glory of which we could never have dreamed. Had we lived with Adam and Eve in paradise, and remained in innocence forever. And that wraps up our episode on original sin. For a full list of all the sources we used and a transcript of today's podcast, please visit our website at burningbush.blog. That's B-U-R-N-I-N-G-B-U-S-H dot B-L-O-G. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.